Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the abandoned hinky punk lesson of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles <laughs> who cannot think of a worse way to wake up than peeves blowing in your ear. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Between Percy being the one to put me to sleep and Peeves being the one to wake me up, it's a rough chapter that we had to go through for the process of sleeping in this book. I, th- I think a command and admonition that you're not asleep and you need to go to sleep is probably not particularly functional unless you're uh, a wizard that's letting your magic escape. <laughs> well, it's the kind of personal touch we can on for Percy. I mean, I also kind of am surprised that there isn't kind of like a lullaby spell that isn't weirdly forceful. Apparently there's a spell that makes sleeping bags, so there are arrays of spells we've just never even pondered before. (laughs) Many of them Dumbledore related, I must say. Yeah. So we are in chapter nine of the third book of Harry Potter called Grim Defeat. And uh, we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap, uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Spencer's Newbie's Notes, we award house points, and then there are questions. And I have been previewed that we are going to have some movie-related questions this time around. Mm-hmm. So, now, yes, Spencer. Sarah, how long do you think this one's going to take? Because <laughs> by sheer length, this is a longer on the longer side of a chapter, and a lot does go down before it's done. There are, infuriatingly, three major scenes in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Highly plot-relevant moments? With... Some in-between stuff that is not, like, irrelevant. However, Spencer, um, I do believe that I can do it in two minutes. Although this was one of those chapters that required uh, several editing sessions (laughs) to get there. This is a level of hubris that is tempting Greek gods. But, you know, if you think you can do it, I wish you the best of luck. Oh my god, we'll see. (laughs) Alright, giant novelty stopwatch is ready. Uh, best of luck. So everyone ends up in the Great Hall for the night with sleeping bags conjured up by Dumbledore. Much speculation ensues about Sirius Black, but you can't operate into Hogwarts. The Dementors aren't fooled by disguises. Uh, He'd have been seen flying in, and Filch knows the secret passages. So Percy puts out the lights, but Harry stays awake, eventually overhearing Dumbledore say that they've located the fat lady who angered Black by not letting him in without a password. Snape and Dumbledore talk, and Black seems to be gone. But then they have a very suspicious conversation about how Snape thinks Black might have gotten in. But Dumbledore trusts everyone, except, it seems, the Dementors. Sir Cadigan is brought in to guard Gryffindor during the Fat Lady's repairs, and as Seamus says, he's a complete lunatic. The weather has gotten terrible, and Slytherin seems to have backed out of their Quidditch match, Malfoy's, quote, injury, but really, perhaps, the storms. They're playing Hufflepuff instead, everyone is livid. The day before the match, they go into defense against the Dark Arts, and Snape's there instead of Lupin, who's sick. Snape has a not-very-in-the-curriculum lesson on werewolves planned, and scoffs at the idea that Lupin hasn't taught them how to recognize basic werewolf characteristics. Snape is then particularly horrible to Hermione. Ron sticks up for her and immediately gets detention. Everyone gets assigned a werewolf essay. We finally get to the day of the Quidditch match. The weather is worse than ever, and Harry heads down to the pitch early after catching Crookshanks trying to sneak into the boys' dormitory. It's bucketing down 
rain, and Harry has essentially no idea what's going on in the match. During a timeout, Hermione comes down to cast a water-repellent spell on Harry's glasses, which helps a bit. Back during play, though, a flash of lightning reveals what seems to be that same giant black dog in the stands, which rattles Harry so much that he doesn't see the snitch until the Hufflepuff seeker Cedric Diggory is racing for it. He takes off after him, but all of a sudden there are a hundred Dementors on the pitch, and Harry hears the screaming again, as well as a bit more. He passes out and falls off his broom. Waking up in the hospital room, he hears the Gryffindor team, Ron and Hermione, discussing the fall. Cedric caught the snitch in the interim, all but dashing their chances of winning the Quidditch Cup and handing Harry his first loss. Dumbledore was furious at the Dementors, who were certainly not supposed to be there, but perhaps worst of all, Harry's Nimbus 2000 blew into the Whomping Willow. Seven seconds over, but Ooh. pretty damn close regardless. I'll take that. That was a lot That's of material. <laughs> um, this was a dense stamp chapter. There was a lot. Yeah, a lot happens here. very impressive. Um, as, you know, I believe we are, are starting to see a pattern as well uh, that in these, mi- when you get to the middle of a book, there is a, a chapter that has just a lot of necessary information in it moving mm-hmm. forward. I believe this might qualify as that chapter. Yeah. yeah. A lot of necessary information, but the plot doesn't actually move forward. Listen, Harry's broom is gone. A thing happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was in, like, the last two paragraphs of the last page. Technically, it happened earlier. Yeah. It, it, it does seem like in the middle part of these books, a monstrous amount of set-up information is provided... And Harry reaches his lowest point of whatever whatever point we've reached in the series. Uh, the, yes. <laughs> the middle of these books is rough on Harry. Um, and it probably is because an owl friend is not there to take care of him, um, who's clearly the real main character of the series. Just hanging in out this in the weather, do, yep. <laughs> in this weather, did we honestly expect an owl to be about? No, but to be fair, no one should have been about, so... <laughs> yeah, I got questions on that. Okay. <laughs> Um, BJ, um, what are you wheezing about today? Uh, so two things, uh, and they they come one right after each other. So we're not going with punctuation uh, this time around because mm. we're I'm kind of done with the the scattering of semicolons. Um, they're just a thing, and I have to accept that they're going to be a <laughs> thing, even though I don't agree with them. Um, but I do find this fascinating progression of familiarity um and this comes up um a couple of pages into the chapter um when they're all fi- trying to figure out how Sirius black got in okay um and so we first start out with maybe you know he knows how to apparate set a raven claw mm-hmm. and then we get disguised himself probably set a hufflepuff fifth year we're getting mm-hmm. more specific. And finally, we have a singular person he could have flown in, suggested by Dean Thomas. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just such a weird way to go through a list of people in, in more and more specificity when I guess, I think the feel was supposed to be like everybody's chatting about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was just like, uh, I don't feel like giving people names because I might have to refer back to them. Um and well, we'll just designate them something. Well, it could also. I think that's that's probably the the right explanation. But it could also have to do with the the. And you've talked about this before, BJ. The kind of weird narrator. The we yeah, the weird kind of locus of the narrator. Because I think that we most of the time, and especially in these middle chapters when we're like deep in the thick of Hogwarts, we associate the narr- narrator with Harry's perspective in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form, right? And so it's not like. Un, 
or it's not impossible that because Harry is like a third year Gryffindor, he might right. not know who these people are, but he might have a little bit more knowledge about Hufflepuff because Gryffindor and Hufflepuff tend to like each other more. Yeah. I I guess I don't disagree, but it's just a really kind of funky way to describe like what's going on. Yes. Um, because it's like a sort of vague, like Harry Potter centric narrator that is as close to first person as we're willing to get without actually not having other random bits of knowledge that you kind of have to have for the story to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Then the next part begins with a question. How do you feel about uh, conjunctions starting sentences? Conjunctions starting sentences. Can you give me an example? um, I can give you a paragraph of of examples. (laughs) I'll even read it to you. Please do. I can give you a movie piece on this. Is said by Sean Connery in Finding Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> because the castle's protected by more than walls, you know, said Hermione. There's all sorts of enchantments on it to stop people entering by stealth. You can't just apparate in here, period. And I'd like to see the disguise that could fool those Dementors. They're guarding every signal entrance to the grounds. They have seen him fly in two, period, and Filch knows the secret, uh, knows all the secret passages. They'll have them covered. So I am fine with that, especially because it's dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you had like real well-constructed sentences, even with Hermione saying them, it would feel out of place in this situation. Yeah. And, and okay. even, even generally, I don't, I don't view as an it, you, it, some people like to view it as an axiomatic rule that it's not proper English to include a conjunction at the start of a sentence, but I don't view it that way, honestly. I think as long as they're used sparingly, they can actually be pretty effective in setting off a sentence compared to its peers. And they're yeah. perfectly reasonable. This this is not an example of that, but there are perfectly no, no. ways to perfectly good ways to include a like a phrase that begins with a conjunction as a way to vary sentence structure when you are still co- creating a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it was just, uh, mm, I feel like Hermione would be speaking in, in, in more full sentences. Um, and uh, Perhaps if this was uh, attributed to Ron instead of Hermione, this would have raised but it, less you queries. You to have the know-it-all aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe yes. actually the number of ands here, maybe Hermione is doing a sort of like, and another thing. Yes. Um, but like, I, I feel like then I'd want more ands. It, it's just mm-hmm. like a weird, anyway. Um, but it, it was kind of funny when mm-hmm. I was like, huh, this paragraph has a lot of, uh, interesting clauses and <laughs> they're written interestingly. Um, but to round out my wizard wheezes, I'm going to, uh, hopefully remember to, to put this in the, the aspect of the podcast that's relevant uh podcast file when i upload it but this chapter is deus ex dumbledore which most chapters probably could be (laughs) but having a specific spell to conjure up sleeping bags just seems a little um deus exy (laughs) like there's no other you know just sort of comes out of nowhere and and why on earth would there be what seems to be very specific spells that require very specific words and inputs and things like that, that is then cast for a room full of sleeping bags. Well, because like the 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 possibility for that 
is, and I think we've, we've talked a little bit about this before, like these sleeping bags have to exist somewhere already. So is there just like a storage room in Hogwarts that's full of sleeping bags? I mean, and why? to me, right, and why? And, you know, to me, it kind of would have made sense if he just like brought in all their beds. Yes, you could kind of recapitulate all of their beds straight from their dormitories right down into the Great Hall, unless, of course, there's not room enough. But there is an entryway you could also... I suppose suppose it's also possible that they're not actually technically in existence. Perhaps they're just very convincing conjurations that, like, expire after a certain period of time. That's possible. Or he just took a bunch of dust mites... And transfigured (laughs) them into... (laughs) Reworked them. He was the transfiguration professor when he was actually teaching things. Professor Dumbledore, my sleeping bag still has whiskers. (laughs) So maybe that's just like what all of his magic is rather than, you know, doing anything more reasonable and the way other wizards do it. He's just like turning random insects into like whatever that he wants because that's what transfiguration seems to be. That would be fascinating. I'm now imagining if you ever entered the wizarding world, you're going to be a transfiguration expert with just a, a pocket full of mice that you just throw at people to turn into things when you need to. I mean, I would take other knowledge to do do weird things to people, like eyelash mites and just turn them into things. Oh, God. But th- that would work, too. You see, th- you don't actually have a Slytherin mindset, but when you say things like that, it just starts to... <laughs> the fact you even pondered that concept is like, whoa, okay. Oh boy. You got, you got anything else, BJ? Shall I start going into the notes? Oh no, you should just go in. I <laughs> I'm I, I'm probably getting towards the towards the realm of newbies notes, but I it's more taken out in frustrations and in in wheezings rather than, than <laughs> same content, notes. different format. Uh, yes. Please, please free to chime in at any point if you've got your own newbie material here as well. This is an open forum. As Sarah, as you've expressed, this is often just an opportunity to go into extra detail about various subjects that there was just no reasonable time for you to hit. I so appreciate it. That's what I'm here for. Uh, first thing to focus on, oh dear God, Percy is in charge. <laughs> and not just a little bit in charge. He is now the highest ranking individual available on set, as the rest of the people are roving the halls. He's well, in depth. he's not though. And this is a frustration that, that maybe I should have wheezed about. How so? Apparently there is a head boy and girl. Yeah, she, uh, the head girl apparently plays no role and falls into the background because Percy is the one exerting control here. Which just seems like a really weird thing. Um, and for some reason, I my gut was like his girlfriend was the head girl. Sarah, but... did you ever confirm that? I think I that's something that we've pondered true. before. Um, Which... Yeah, I thought, I thought Percy, Clear, or, um, Percy Clearwater, Jesus, uh, Penelope Clearwater <laughs> was mm. the head girl. Oh, but I might, her name? We I'm don't not know. sure. Uh, either way, it does make for an interesting scenario where he's not he's not only put in charge over the students, he's given additional, like, deputized powers. He is the ghost warden. of All the ghosts in, in Hogwarts are reporting to him during this moment. And he mostly uses it to keep order and order us to go to bed, which Percy's method of ordering us to go to bed is leave something to be desired. I'm hoping in later years he learns to have a bit more of a personal touch for these moments, but it's not in him right now. What we do see, BJ, as you pointed out, though, just is how damn powerful Dumbledore so casually is. Dumbledore, I almost wonder whether we see him so rarely in these books because he fits the problem so many writers run into of when they've devised a character who is so powerful, he can immediately fix the plot in any way he needs to, but that would remove the, the ability to have any kind of drama. 
A character who's so powerful that nothing can really go wrong for them because they can just immediately conjure whatever they need to to fix the situation. Clearly, that's a character that can never be the main focus of the story because there wouldn't be much in the way of, you know, tension. Yeah. I think that that ends up being true for basically every professor that is more than a little bit competent. (laughs) Or at least isn't uh, fundamentally hindered in some uh, way, shape, or form. Yes, I will, without telling you the context for this or anything about what happens, um, what I will tell you, Spencer, and preview for you is that Dumbledore, we see a lot more of Dumbledore in later books. Okay. I'm guessing that's in part because we'll see our main characters come into their own a little bit so they can stand on their own legs. So maybe they'll be involved in much more Dumbledore level of things, but we'll see. Mm Mm-hmm. Is he doing weird things in front of the mirror of Erised, or is it just, like, him actually being part of the plot? <laughs> How do you know he does that? <laughs> we, uh, devastatingly, <laughs> we never see the mirror of Erised again. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Um, it, I, I'm with Hermione in pointing out what appears to be a remarkable coincidence, and I think the book even feels the need to highlight that it's a remarkable coincidence that... Uh, Sirius Black apparently chose the exact moment that nobody was in the tower to attack the tower. Uh, this could be because he actually realized in some way that Harry might have been the only person possibly there, or it was just a poor decision on his part. I don't know. It is interesting. The book takes the time to highlight that fact, though. Mm-hmm. In terms of things I would love to experience that the characters do, uh, Sarah, is there an opportunity that we all could do a slumber party in the Great Hall every night? Because it just seems awesome. With the, <laughs> as the long as Percy's not there. We are yeah, very we're, different people. <laughs> Come on, the moving starscape that's constantly occurring overhead, you know, everyone hanging out together, it just sounds lovely. Other than, you know, Percy ordering me to go to bed at a certain hour and casually waving off all the candles, which again, kudos to him, nice trick. It, it, I, I've forgotten that the Great Hall was a truly magical place, and this chapter reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. We have confirmation it was indeed Sirius Black. I was curious whether they were going to draw that out a bit and debate whether the Peeves was lying to us, but no, it is straight up said that Sirius Black showed up at the door, the fat lady refused to let him in, and he took it out on the painting. Eventually, the painting recognized him. Uh, I wouldn't assume that paintings get news flashes as to what he presently looks like, and I'm assuming he was previously a student. I don't know if that's been pre- prior, uh, prior said, but I'm assuming that. So the painting may have met him, assuming he was a Gryffindor, many years before, but still being able to recognize him on site after, what, 13 years in Azkaban? That is impressive on the painting's part, unless she's getting a newspaper subscription I didn't know about. Well, the the paintings are the ru- real rumor mill of Hogwarts, let's be very clear. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, what else are they going to do with their time? Yes. I mean, and probably any news clippings or whatever are read by paintings, oh. because... That, that is actually a good point, that uh, cl- the paintings probably can move to the newspaper clippings if they want, based on the seemingly connect- connection of pictures and worldscapes around the world. Please don't say ask that. me anything more about how the paintings work tonight. <laughs> no, I'm making my own theories now. Fair enough. Um, but, like, I can also see, you know, if they're not constantly talking and doing whatever else, like, there are a whole bunch of paintings that are just, like, watching Dumbledore and everything Dumbledore does. Mm-hmm. So when... Dumbledore is taking his morning whatever passes for coffee um, and reading his newspaper. I also Makes think sense. this is not like a, again, not like a real spoiler, but we do learn out that like, we do learn later that Dumbledore is very fond of just talking to the paintings in his office. Oh, I can imagine that. 
I have okay. a question that I shouldn't ask, and you're going to be sad that I asked it, Sarah, but well, I'm why? not really going to apologize. <laughs> Are there any paintings in the bathrooms? Um, so uh, I, we don't know that there, if there's a painting in the bathroom or in any of the bathrooms or not, but we do find out that there is... Oh, is it a painting? In the movie, it's a stained glass window that has kind of some of the same stuff going on with it as the paintings. But in the books, it might be a painting. Anyway, we learn more about this in the next book. Dumbledore 100% has a painting in his own private bathroom. (laughs) To the dismay of everybody but Dumbledore involved. Uh, Every now and then, these chapters like to drop that Filch kind of is their everyman in terms of having all the skills necessary to run this university at times, uh, which surprises me. Like, don't worry, we'll have Filch repair the painting so the fat lady can come back into it. Painting restoration, yep. That's a really specialized job that Filch apparently just casually has. They also just casually reference the idea that Filch, who has no magical powers, is roving the halls looking for Sirius Black, Mm -hmm. going down to the dungeons to do it. By himself. My impression Kudos was to Filch, I guess. He didn't. He doesn't have no magical power. Oh. He's just kind of limp wanded. Sarah, clarification. I, I I thought he was a essentially a muggle born into a wizarding family. Yeah, as far as we know, he actually doesn't have any magical power. Okay, I thought he like he was didn't have enough course. to make it. Uh, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I think that there are like kind of different levels of what qualifies as a, as a squib. Um, mm-hmm. But we at no point ever in this series see him do any sort of magic. It, it again sets up that maybe it shows he has more sense. He, he has, you know, more will than sense about doing this. But <laughs> he is roving the halls looking for a well-known wizarding murderer. That that takes moxie. But he you know, also he's is doing just it. mean. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Too mean to kill. So would he be in Gryffindor then? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Some Gryffindor traits about this guy. Uh-huh. This is true. Uh-huh. Uh, we also have Snape lay out a couple. Snape here is trying to dr- indirectly drop knowledge bombs about Lupin over the course of this chapter. Or at least present various theories to us. One of them being, Snape basically says, you know, I warned you about your new hire and their, like, connections with, with uh, Sirius Black. Or about maybe their loyalties in some way. Snape's putting before the idea that there is someone in the school that is letting Sirius Black in, which everyone's kind of supporting that theory. But Dumbledore refuses to consider the, uh, well, the logical the logical possibilities of it. But it seems that Snape's casting aspersions towards Lupin there, because the only two people that we know that Dumbledore hired this year are Hagrid, and Hagrid has done enough to make it... Hagrid has already done enough a couple books ago for us to be content that he's resolved his ongoing role in the plot, I think. (laughs) It's Lupin's turn uh, in in terms of connection to the ultimate villain in some way. So that is interesting to lay out, that Snape apparently has not unmerited beliefs that Lupin may have connections with Sirius Black. Do you know what that is? Though... He later gives us a lot of indirect statements that, huh, it's really interesting that Lupin didn't tell you about werewolves. How interesting is that Lupin didn't tell you how to recognize werewolves? Is it odd in any way that I keep repeating the word werewolves like ten times to the students of Lupin? (laughs) Snape is not a subtle man. Um, So I'd previously pondered the idea that Lupin may have, you know, uh, be a werewolf in some way. The book has been setting up the idea about changing forms being the magical spell of note to reference offhand like five chapters ago to be incredibly important later on. 
So you would say that lupine, lupin has lupine qualities? You know, the name alone, for Pete's sake. <laughs> this is not subtle, Miss Rowling. Uh, so maybe this is a point of comparison, because I've previously pondered the idea that, as I noted, I thought might have been, it might have been lupin earlier in one of the chapters because there was a werewolf-like thing that was roving after Harry, but according to the little, li- the little line art that starts each chapter, uh, it was not a full moon that night. So unless this is entirely something that can be controlled at will... It seems like that, that was probably Sirius Black that was following him through the halls. We also have the big claw marks, which seems to be another connection maybe to Sirius Black, given that they said it was him. So maybe this is a point of comparison between the two. Maybe they are both werewolves, maybe they are part of the same pack in some way, or have some similar connection in that regard. It offers another op- idea for a point of connection between the two that is teased at, but not fully explained. But something to make a note of for later. Does Hogwarts have a doggy door? It appears to be, and it's one that the higher-ups do not know about, because <laughs> somehow Sirius Black got in, in a way that should not be possible, which they say that a lot in this in these books. Uh, our greatest hero of the chapter is Sir Cadogan, and I don't want to hear otherwise, because uh, this guy is voluntarily stepping into a position of where the prior person was damn near, well, painting murdered, however that works, and is taking necessary security precautions in a way that the people he's protecting do not fully recognize and respect, but... He, this is this here actually changing up the passwords every now and then, inviting a certain degree of randomness, seems like a good idea when you've actually got serious black stalking the halls, even if people it, don't want to fully respect Sir Cadigan for it. Oh my god. So <laughs> how would you feel if your cell phone at random intervals changed the lock code and didn't tell you? This is me we're talking about. I sometimes feel like my cell phone is doing that. <laughs> Interesting. Um... Mm. I feel like Sir Cadigan is the uh, nightmare of every security personnel ever. Um, basically making it impossible for anybody to get any work done and there being no actual method of ensuring security. <laughs> His security objective is to stop people who don't have the password from getting into the tower. And he is going to enforce that no matter the consequences. <laughs> it doesn't matter who doesn't happen to have the password no. at any given moment. <laughs> The, the greatest flaw in any security system is human, and so I'm not letting the humans in. Uh, let's see here. Uh, God damn it, Harry. I mean, just damn it. <laughs> just utterly damn it, Harry. Stop interrupting people when they're about to tell you the plot. <laughs> How many times are you going to do this this book? Your latest very well-meaning person who wants to explain to you what is actually going on was Professor McGonagall who you again interrupted to say you already knew. You don't. You already even know you don't know. Stop interrupting people on this. I swear, we're going to probably hear it eventually from Sirius Black himself, because that's the one person you're not going to have the guts to interrupt. Are you sure? No, I'm not. It's probably going to interrupt Sirius Black. We'll see. I know why you're here. It's about Voldemort. And it's just like, like, no. I'm actually here for... I'm already on the same page. Let's go along with this. But I want to explain... Nope, nope, I understand. God damn it, Harry. Come on. Uh, character... Uh, we discussed this before pod, but characters in desperate need of magical Xanax are include Oliver Wood, because this guy is really taking too much stress upon himself over the course of this chapter. Does he have classes? Does he have any obligations other than Quidditch? Because I don't think they're getting performed in this present state of mind. I think the only question is, does he have any that he cares about? <laughs> Oh, that one's definitely no. Um, but I, I feel like we get into a um, a realm of a complaint that I have, and, and I wonder if it's going to get better or worse, where 
I feel like Rowling just didn't care to like figure out what like a sports person's reaction to something like this would be and then just made something up and then it rings very weird as opposed to like true or false it's just like a so you've never watched like a a football movie or read a football book or talked to anybody that liked football of honestly either kind um but you're gonna write it and then make it weird it, it, there seems to be a running trend in these books that secondary characters that will not be developed further exist more as tropes than as well-rounded people. They kind of just represent a tr- a single trait embodied, personified, and flanderdized before they ever had opportunity to be more than that. And Maybe the Kindle edition should just include links to the trope rather than <laughs> a long <laughs> explanation of how they're fulfilling it. Mm. Let's see here. Uh, we already discussed the idea of the whole Lupin Snape werewolves very on the nose theories. Uh, but a thing I did like in the scene was Ron standing up for Hermione. Uh, as much as Ron frustrates me as being at times a blithering, headstrong idiot, we do see the positive traits of Gryffindor embodied in him too. And it is nice that he stands up for Hermione. It is also suicidal, but that's embodying Gryffindor traits there as well. It's... I mean, it's not like Harry was going to do it. Apparently not. It's not like anybody in the room was going to do it other than Ron. So, you know, kudos. I uh, I do enjoy the description of him being in a towering rage, just for the point that I love the, word, the use of the word towering as a descriptor. <laughs> uh, Sarah, point I think you'll agree on with me. Uh, Harry, crab- Harry grabbing Crookshanks by the tail to avoid Crookshanks <laughs> entering the room. You do that with a nice cat, you've just forfeited your right to have a hand. Yeah, you do that not with Crookshanks, ideal. <laughs> Crookshanks has taken an arm. No, although it is funny to me that this that Crookshanks just keeps going back to the boys' dormitory throughout this morning, which is, like, very cat-like behavior. Oh, yeah. Uh, Crookshanks is cat-embodied, and mm-hmm. I enjoy this creature, and we can spend more time with it. <laughs> but just advice to all of our li- listeners, do not do as Harry does. This is the closest Harry has died in the entire series. <laughs> so, at what point are we going to find out that Crookshanks is inhabited by something? Uh, I'm at this point. I'm waiting for all the pets to actually be something different to also have extra traits. Like, I don't even know at this point. We've, talk, we've discussed Crookshanks. We've discussed some weird things about Ron's Scrabbers. I'm waiting for Hedwig to actually be, you know, his parents reincarnated, <laughs> watching over him. We'll see. Every there, there's a lot going on with these pets. I, I'm I'm just not sure whether the pets are just like in that classic trope of being, you know, smarter or more capable or having their own personalities beyond what they would normally be is just being a funny way of showing pets or whether I should make more of that. We'll see. I have a feeling that the owls are just like a little bit smarter and then Hedwig is going to be like a little bit more important, but not a, I'm a special phoenix and I can do whatever I want. We'll see. Yeah. Uh uh, I'll go into more questions about this topic here in a second, but uh, good lord, football wouldn't play in that weather. No sport would play in the weather they apparently expect players to go into Quidditch for. Which is all the more interesting given that they're above ground flying around in a lightning storm. Mm-hmm. What is the liability policy of this university? How many students die in a given year that they just shrug off? Um, basically, anything can be healed. Uh, within death. unreasonable reasons. We, we, we have reason to believe that death may not be fixable, unless you view the idea of coming back as a ghost as a, a kind of solution to that problem. I think I that mean, they, they hope that there are perhaps enough uh, sort of wizards in 
the immediate vicinity that like if you are going to fall to your death somebody would stop you as indeed they sort of did harry here yeah, yeah they slow him down enough that they're only concerned he might be dead let's start that dumbledore rescued him in the sense that we weren't a hundred percent certain that you were dead that's not reassuring again lightning is what i'm worried about here and maybe they're... that just gives you more powers oh yeah exactly we're working under marvel superhero logic now <laughs> Oh, I mean, he not? already does have the lightning scar. Like, it just needs to hit him sure. there a couple of times, and he just becomes overpowered. And then, um, he, beca- and then he became the supercharged Flash he knew he was capable of. Um, I'm surprised he didn't go with Super Saiyan, but okay. Mm, um, it doesn't seem to fit the world. Fair enough. So, why didn't Dumbledore just apparate all of the, or however he conjured, all of the sleeping bags under Harry rather than vaguely slowing him down? I feel like there are better solutions, but... <laughs> At least the ground was soggy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he was basically falling into a swimming pool with how much it had been raining. I didn't feel the need to do more. (laughs) Uh, With with Dumbledore's transfiguration ability, why didn't he just turn all of the Dementors into nice fluffy pillows? Why didn't he turn Harry into a a bird or something? Like... (laughs) Yeah, or, or a snuff box, you know, it would have displayed, it, that, that was an option too. There's lots of things that could have occurred here that Dumbledore did not do. But that we can re- kind of repeat that at every stage of every point of every plot of these books. There's more that Dumbledore could have done here, but chose not to. Uh, in terms of characters that do use magic properly, good on you, Hermione, with a repel water spell. I don't think that's been previously set up in the books, but that's a useful thing for them to have been using. I'm assuming... Sure. Yeah. I mean, you could cast it on, like, all sorts of things that that it was just cast on the glasses seems very, like, we're solving a very weird problem that we've manufactured. (laughs) It seemed like they could have cast it on their robes, which would have made them a lot less, you know, freezing cold and damp. That's against the spirit of the thing. (laughs) Yeah, this is meant to be suffering. This is Quidditch. It's just, it's also impressive that apparently none of the other characters even knew that this was a spell. So this seems like... I can't even say it's a higher level spell because remind me, Oliver Wood's about to graduate. Yeah, I think well, it's. I think he's gonna try. Well, <laughs> I think yeah, it's a little optimistic on his part to assume that he doesn't have another year on the Gryffindor mm. Quidditch team. Um, but I do. I think that one of the things that happens with Hermione knowing this spell is that, like, yes, she frequently studies like higher level magic on her own but like a lot of what she does is just like weird pockets of magic yeah mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's almost like it's not that she's you know doing higher level courses it's just that she's delved down to the minutiae in a way mm-hmm. that most people wouldn't catch or explore mm-hmm. perhaps this isn't just in reasonably predicting what her friends might need going forward perhaps this is just in her own little wikipedia spirals of exploring magical lore who knows mm-hmm. but it continually proves useful over these books sarah I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. If you uh, don't pass your end of year exams, uh, especially when you're trying to graduate, is that considered a foul? Uh, your specifically your fifth year exams that you have to take. Yes, perhaps it is. <laughs> yes. So in your fifth year, Spencer, <laughs> you yeah, take I'm... your yes, your ordinary wizarding levels, your OWLS. Um, your owls. Your owls? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you fail it, it's a foul. Okay, well, thank you for explaining why the pun hurts me. Now I'm with you. <laughs> I was content enough to just be ignorant, but now I get to experience the pain firsthand. 
<laughs> You're welcome. <sighs> All right. Uh, wrapping up a few last points. Uh, yes. I'm assuming the dog in the stands is literal rather than, again, the, the prophecy divination thing that they've also hinted it to be, given that apparently this dog, if it is indeed Sirius Black, is indeed on campus. Though at this point, I just kind of imagine it wearing a jersey, ha waving a banner around, <laughs> even that it's apparently in the bleachers that anybody noticing. So maybe it's masquerading as it went up there. It's Scrappy-Doo. Uh, it, sure. Uh, we get a vision out of Harry here from the Dementors that seems highly relevant, and I don't have many ways to interpret it other than what I'm going to say it is, but this seems to be him seeing his mom's death at Voldemort's hands. Is it enough of a spoiler that you can't tell me, or is this indeed what he's saying? No, I mean, I think it's, it's we, we certainly get there. Um, I think that what, you know, it's not, at this point, I can tell you that, like, the more times that Harry interacts with the Dementors, the more of this scene he sees. Which is really interesting, because mm -hmm. this is seemingly the thing that he is most afraid of. And they almost seem like they are hounding him down for the purpose of showing him this, given that a hundred of them show up on the pitch for seemingly no reason, unless they're there for Sirius Black up in the stands, in which case they're in the entirely wrong part of the area. So, okay. Um, but it's I wonder if the Dementors are kind of like the, oh, there's another book that they did a prison like this, um, where it's just they, they're enforcing like the traumatic experience of that character on them and so when they actually express their powers it's through through that uh method and that's why the people in azkaban go bunkers mm. yeah, possible it does so make i it wonder what hagrid saw huh. it does make it interesting that apparently harry's worst fear the most horrible moment of his life is a moment before he was even fully conscious that's a rough point to start from. Well, if you go from trauma rather than his biggest fear, or like when, maybe you could say when he was most afraid, because like that, that wouldn't be a stretch as opposed to like a conscious, like, I'm afraid of getting hit by a fire pan. And uh, I would say that we pan. have, we have already encountered one creature in this book that is specifically fear based. Mm -hmm. So it would perhaps not be, um out of character I mean, for the Dementors to be doing something else other than a kind of fear-based thing. To your yeah. point, BJ. Okay. Uh, last couple points. One, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Dear Lord, does Quidditch scoring need to be reworked? <laughs> this... The snitch is a ludicrous concept for how this game should be built around. It needs to change. It needs to not be worth 150 points. It needs to not be the only thing that lets you in the damn game. None of that makes sense to me, but tradition. And finally, oh god, we've had another casualty of the books, we've lost Harry's broom. This feels almost like a, the most personal assault upon him we've had really yet, because this was one of the few things that made him happy. And so, of course, this being the middle part of a Harry Potter book, he has to lose that and never get it back again. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he can buy another one, um, so, oh. I mean, this is a very permanent and, and sad loss. Though, I do expect that a professor is going to uh, magically appear with a broom or something <laughs> like that to just cure the situation or Wood will like give up his broom. <laughs> this won't stand for long. Harry may not get the same quality of broom again for a while, but he's got a lot of people in his camp that want him to both be happy and competing. McGonagall almost first and foremost, she is willing to violate policy in a way that feels almost out of character for the purpose of her team having a scoring chance. So, she doesn't seem like she would allow this to stand for too long. 
And it's but, not like you can fix anything broken with magic. Well, it, it, I can't really say anything to that. It's seemingly random what can be fixed and what can't. Maybe it's but, how much they've been imbued with magic in the first place. Like, maybe the magic is broken now. That's impossible. But, I mean, but for, that seems weird that Filch is going to be able to fix a painting, which seems... Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean I, it well. could be... It, <laughs> Purely could purely just be that the concept of fixing paintings, which is an impressive art, is such a muggle skill that Filch is the only one who knows how to do it because you can't <laughs> use magic to pull it off. I like the idea of there just being duct tape on the fat lady's painting after <laughs> this. It works. It's fine. <laughs> want to hire an expert, hire an expert. I'm using duct tape. <laughs> um, I, and I hate to break it to you, but it 100% would be gaffer tape. True. But before we go into questions, and I've got a couple, uh, Sarah... Our, who are our winners and losers of house points this week? Very easy. We've talked about it already. Sir Cadigan wins. Yeah, he has the best day ever for him. <laughs> and Harry loses. Yeah. This is... Other people had claims to the title. Hermione did not have a great chapter. Um, mm -mm. But that clear winner and loser for me. I will brook no discussion on this point. <laughs> I don't think any uh, discussion needs to be had. That's indisputable to me. I have a, a suggestion for somebody who did have a very, 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 very good chapter, but I do agree that he didn't win. Okay. Who? Is Snape. Snape did. Yeah. He got Snape's to teaching insinuate. Defense against the dark arts. He did. Yes. And he got to insinuate all kinds of things all throughout the chapter. Yeah. Snape. It is interesting. We're not really given. I didn't really go into this, but the book really wants to open, leave open the idea that maybe Snape is poisoning Lupin. Because they've already, you know, had Harry ponder that, and now they doubled down on it that, oh, he's not feeling well, so I'm taking over. I don't buy any of that, but, yeah, as you, as you said, BJ, Snape, other than he had people stand up to him, which was ultimately ineffectual, he had a good day. Mm -hmm. So you would say that Snape is snippy and snipes at people? No, I would never <laughs> say that. Ever. Those words would never cross my mouth. <laughs> it was just a snap judgment. But... but please, dear God. I, <laughs> okay, what questions I think we do have we have? Questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sarah, Dumbledore really dumbles down hard on no Dementor will ever cross the threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you okay there, AJ? Uh, you Breathe. said Dumbledore dumbles down. <laughs> I said double. No. Probably not. Okay, so we'll go with uh, we'll go with whatever I said. And uh, do we have any prior knowledge to explain why he is remarkably anti-Dementor, or we just kind of work under the assumption that he views them as a threat to the well-being of his students? Um, I think we probably certainly at this point function under the idea that that he views them as a threat. Um, I think he views them specifically being around Hogwarts as being a threat to his students. But I think that he is probably, if we took a more global view of of the opinion that Dementors are just like things that shouldn't be around humans anyway, and the fact that the Wizarding World uses them as guards at uh, Azkaban is itself a sort of travesty of like human rights and things like that. As we have discussed, yes. Yes. Okay, well that makes perfect sense. I wasn't sure if there was some epic backstory that we're waiting to discover about his own personal hatred of them. No, not no, not particularly. I think he also is probably chafing a little bit at the idea that the Ministry installed them there um, against his wishes. That is true. He did make note of that, that this was very much against his uh, personal recommendations. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, piling on that, so we don't really get a clear view of what the 
purview and number of dementors that mm-hmm. are sort of around Hogwarts, but it really seemed, at least initially, that there were just they were posted at the entrances and maybe like wandering around, sort of guard pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a hundred appear, and it's kind of like no one noticed it until it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, is this? Uh, Dementor powers, or is this a, you know, explanation not given because excitement was happening? I think it's probably the latter, in all honesty. Um, I do think that, you know, we, that it's not, um, I think that it is, it is reasonable to assume that there are hundreds of Dementors that are guarding Hogwarts, simply given the scope Mm. of Hogwarts grounds, particularly. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know, Spencer, you have a question about kind of how things in the scene are depicted, Mm-hmm. in the movies later but i will say one of the kind of cool things about the dementors in this movie is when and i'm trying to remember if it's actually in their arrival to hogwarts or in one of they do a whole bunch of kind of cut scenes where they do kind of um or kind of interstitial scenes where they show things around the hogwarts grounds and you can mm-hmm. see just a line of dementors spaced um, around part of the per- the perimeter of Hogwarts, kind of floating in the air, and you get the sense that there really are like a significant number of Dementors there. Uh, as they, how as to how they kind of get to the Quidditch pitch without anyone noticing, I think that's just something that's kind of left unexplained. Although I I would say that like there being this much rain and storm and bad weather makes a little bit more sense makes it make a little bit more sense simply because, you know, the one of the first indications that they're there is the kind of coldness that comes into a space. And if it's already storming and people are already cold. Yeah, they definitely seem to be using the storm to mask their approach. Yes. Why is really left open to the imagination at this point? Uh, I mean, obviously, like, it doesn't pose an issue for them to pass through the storm is, like, their vision would be of, like, a very bright ring mm-hmm. um, that they can follow anywhere. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, question for me about Dementors. Uh, do they run Azkaban, and to what degree are they sentient? Because we do hear people hear, mm. hear about you know people talking with them and seemingly um, interacting with them, but they seem like they almost are more creatures of instinct rather than inherent like conscious. I'm gonna hazard a guess. Please. That, that's spoilery. Is it? Um, I don't know if it's. I don't know if the answer to that question is spoilery. Okay. Um, they're they're not. I they have their kind of. We don't know a lot about the interiority of the Dementors, Let's, mm. that, which is a fair. I think that's fair to say. Um, Are you suggesting hmm. they're never going to be a, a, a chapter narrator? I'm very disappointed if that's <laughs> that the case. That would be a weird chapter. Um, we don't we don't know a lot about their sort of interior lives or motivations, but they don't. They I I think that it is fair to say that they simultaneously act on instinct although they can be they do have motivations that humans know about and can control to some extent okay but like they kind of do that they, they nobody wants to spend a whole bunch of time around them so it's hard to kind of figure out what's going on with them <laughs> just dementor things yeah and they they are doing dementor things here mm-hmm. um on a totally different track why was Percy chose to be head boy? Well, he is a rule follower. 
<laughs> he clearly and wanted it more than anyone else alive. I think Very that true. kind of plays into it. Um, but I don't imagine anybody that has the power to grant him head boy would willingly do so. Bear in mind, this is Dumbledore we're talking about. His prior appointments have been a bit of questionable merit. I also feel yeah. like Dumbledore doesn't really care about head boy and head girl. Wait, That's you want to be head boy? Sure. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Go on. So, yeah. Maybe it's a sort of like Percy and other people think that it's really important, mm-hmm. but Dumbledore is kind of willing to give it to whoever asks him first. From his perspective, so, it takes administrative tasks off his plate. So yeah, he's down, sure. Or this might be something, honestly, that as deputy headmistress that McGonagall is in charge of, this might not be a Dumbledore decision. He might just sign off on it. Interesting. It seemed like it'd be more in keeping with McGonagall in terms of her, what would she would support? Percy seems to be a bit cut from the same cloth. Not as anything, uh, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> no. Not as charismatic. No, not at all. Not as, yeah. Not. A, I'm just going to say not in general. Percy <laughs> <Just> is not. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Question. Is control weather a spell? Because of all the things, that seems like that should be one people are wielding more. No. <laughs> no? It isn't a category of spell? Um, not really. So, like, what you would be able... What you would be able to do is perhaps, like, cast some level of protection around yourself potentially Mm -hmm. but you can't change the weather i think it would take too much energy are there any quidditch domes as opposed to (laughs) open air arenas (laughs) are we is there an indoor football league um no not to our i don't know not to our knowledge is there even an out of bounds when it comes to quidditch i mean can you just end up in france chasing the snitch or is that not allowed I think you technically could. I would have to imagine that there are probably some spells put on, like, the snitch and the bludgers that keep them within at least a certain area. Gotcha. Although there is a scene in the second Harry Potter movie that would suggest that that has been relaxed a little more than you would have thought. (laughs) I got uh, three more questions. BJ, you got any more? Uh, Fire away. I'm good. Uh, okay, quick ones. Uh, have we ever met Cedric Diggory before? Because they seem to be setting this up as a secondary character we'll want to remember. Uh, yes, remember Cedric Diggory. Oh my god, and then remember that I said remember Cedric Diggory. <laughs> oh, okay, we'll do. Writing into my increasingly gigantic list of things to remember. Okay, uh, I'm gonna... Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, what is this silvery spell they keep using on Dementors? That's a huge had... fucking spoiler, Spencer. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not allowed to know what this spell no. is. This, okay, so we've seen two separate professors use them very successfully on them now. So, all right, I'll note that one for later. And, okay, De- we are someday going to watch the movies together, and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And there are some scenes that mm-hmm. I feel like, while very effective and evocative in the books, might be even more visually impressive in the movies if they do them right. I feel like this scene, or pretty much, you know, a lot of the scenes involving the Dementors, might be in that category. Mm-hmm. Could you just tell me your rememberings or impressions about this scene shown in the shown in the movies how how, how well does it work out yeah the quidditch, the the quidditch mash the ex- itself yes um yeah so it, this is actually a really really cool scene in the movies because it um it ca- really captures the chaos of the storm first and foremost and um you know you have harry and you're kind of in following harry around more or less as he <laughs> tries not to get struck by lightning um <laughs> brooms around yeah 
and things come out of the out of the clouds and out of the mist at him. Um, the flashes of lightning are going and things like that. And then kind of from that already chaotic scene, the the Dementors who in the m movies we kind of got one depicted at the beginning of in these sketches at the beginning of one of these chapters, but in the movies they're even more raggedy and. Um, They're ring wraiths. Sort of, spec yeah, specter-y than they are in that picture. And they start to come out of the mist and the storm as well. Um, very creepy. Very well done. Um, looking forward to see it. Uh, final point, because we do all need to run. Um, but, Sarah, if in two minutes or less you want to talk about it, you were presented with a theory this week that seemed to have really grabbed your attention with respect to how members are admitted into House Gryffindor. Do you have any comments you want to make on that theory about whether you still hold to it? Because you were pretty down on it for... Uh, uh, yeah. You're, you're oh, good. Supportive of it, I'd say. Yes. <laughs> I, mean. I was down with it, perhaps down, not yes, down yes. on it. Sorry. Um, English, hard. Yeah, I this theory made a whole lot of sense to me because we have had questions um, individually and on this podcast as well about how perhaps particular members of Gryffindor actually ended up in Gryffindor when they seem to have characteristics yes, that might suggest that they might be in a different, some sort of different house. Um, Hermione chief among them, I would say. And so I sort of unearthed a theory this week that specifically our Harry Potter trio are representations of the other houses. Hermione is Ravenclaw, of course. Um, Harry is, is Slytherin, as we've talked about a little bit, and as he himself has uh, fussed over, let's say. <laughs> and then Ron is perhaps our, like, Hufflepuff of the group. Um, but that they're all in Gryffindor, and in fact, everyone who is in Gryffindor is in Gryffindor because they asked to be in Gryffindor. That you have to be sort of brave enough to choose to be brave to be assigned to Gryffindor. And I think I, think I agree with that. I think I like that theory a lot. It's always nice that this many years after the fact, you, your views of the books can be fundamentally, offered, fundamentally altered by some pondering of the fans. It's always fun when you've got a fan base like that. Yes, and especially yeah. something like this where there is actually a lot of textual evidence to back it up instead of just sort of... <laughs> Retconning. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, for right now, we got to run. But this yes, was a really we, fun yep. chapter to talk about with you guys. What do we have for next week? We have a giant, massive chapter <laughs> next week called The Marauder's Map. Yeah, yeah this yep. is going to... Go in funky places, Spencer. <laughs> Buckle yourself to your broom, because it's going to get interesting. Uh -huh. I, am ready to, I am ready to be confused. Given that's my normal state of being, it won't be that hard. You've been practicing, Spencer. <laughs> For the last 33 years. All right, well, this has about. been fun, y'all. Right, Till next time.